0: Welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to a Knock On Podcast. I thought if I just hit it quick, I could catch you saying something funny. <laughs> get straight into it yeah so for those of you joining in you missed out on a couple things one uh my guest johnny mcavoy is that right yep is that how you say it are you gonna Close <laughs> are you gonna are you gonna keep your irish thing going or are you gonna try to hide it for the podcast Ah, uh, uh, sure. I
1: don't know. I like it. could be coming out and I have no idea. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm talking about.
0: Yeah, it comes out at certain times. It yeah. comes out like when you're excited. Uh, yeah. So, like do you intentionally bu- not talk normal when you're coaching people?
1: When I'm hitting bullseyes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, how would you say it? Like, if you told people you're shooting archery, is there a slang Irish term from, from like the hood? For archery? Yeah. Is there like slinging the shafts or something? You'd say it's spot on, Bye. It's spot on. (laughs) That's awesome. Dude, introduce yourself. You're such an interesting duck. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So my name is John McAvoy. I'm going airplane mode too. I forgot. Yeah.
1: Yeah, mine's on silent. I think. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, my name is John McAvoy. I'm originally from Ireland. I currently live in Twin Falls, Idaho. And uh, I'm a base jumper, I guess would be the. No, you are a base jumper. <laughs> that would be the best way to kind of <laughs> describe uh, my life, but at the moment anyway.
0: No, that's the best way to describe it because that, I mean, dude, take us back to what got you into that. Like I know last night at dinner, Sharon talked to you a little, the two of you, EU, You're well, you're not EU, right? It's technically you're. Well, you I guess you, is I, is Ireland? Ireland's in the EU, It yeah. is. Yeah. And, and then, then England recently exited. They you know, Brexited they actually. Brec- they Brexited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they Brexited out. Yeah. But yeah, anytime someone from across that ocean gets in the world of shaz, then she can talk home. We're neighbors, you know. Yeah, so you're neighbors having a chat. You guys were getting after it and yeah. I was just trying to trigger and, you know, serve you food yeah <laughs> but uh how did it all start like
1: with um base jumping yeah base jumping so i mean growing up i was always like my friends and i were always like hanging out and building sites and uh sneaking into places we're not supposed to be in and climbing up on tall stuff and uh like adrenaline seekers i i would say or kind of um yeah, like we were just always kind of, that was always very attractive to us. And uh, in Ireland, not to play the whole cliche of the US being the land of opportunity, but in Ireland, there's not very much opportunity to do sports like skydiving, say, for example. Mm-hmm. So um, the only exposure I would have had to it would have been seeing it on TV or in like a Mission Impossible movie or something. And it's always <laughs> like, oh, that's coo- that would be cool to do someday or something like that. Yeah. But, um, and then I was living... So I was living in New Zealand. Um, I left Ireland when I was 22. I was living in New Zealand. And um, I went to do a tandem skydive like most people do. That's like a bucket list thing. Or that would be just a cool thing to do. Yeah. And then afterwards, yeah, afterwards I was just blown away by it. I was with um, the girl I was dating at the time when we landed. Afterwards, I was like, oh my God, that was amazing. I can't wait to do it again. And her exact words were oh my god that was amazing i'm never doing it again <laughs> and this I, like, I didn't hear that
0: part yeah but I uh, what i did hear was when you said i can't believe that's legal yeah. legal i
1: couldn't i was blown <laughs> away by it so just couldn't believe that you were allowed to jump out of a plane <laughs> essentially like it's just such a foreign thing and that environment is just so different and i was just yeah i was just completely enthralled with it so Uh, went through that and then i was even more blown away when this guy told me that all you had to do was pay money and take a course (laughs) and that anybody (laughs) could essentially do it like you obviously have to pass the course and everything six certs right so um so yeah i just started that whole process i thought again growing up in ireland it was just kind of ignorant to the fact that um you didn't have to be a stuntman or do any kind of special anything super special or qualify for stuff you can just take this course and become a skydiver and um yeah, I did a little bit of it in New Zealand. It got shelved for um, several reasons, and then I moved to the U.S., and then I, uh, when I got to the position of I was working for myself, I had some free time, I had some spare cash, I kind of revisited it, and then started skydiving, and it just kind of, it was a natural progression, then you'd meet someone who was a base jumper, and you kind of asked them a couple, oh my god, like you guys jump off buildings and cliffs, and you kind of just start asking people questions and it, the world gets exposed to you a little bit more and more. And then, um, yeah, just kind of step by step. I got deeper and deeper and then eventually ended up kind of going all in and just committing my whole life to it. So <laughs>
0: Once again, the slippery ridiculously slope. small world. Of course, I'm like, Oh, do you know, do you know Trevor and Arlette? Yes. You yeah, know? Yeah. And then you tell me where you work every day, which I'll get into your daily routine, which I think is awesomely insane. Uh, But the way you described where you work and your daily routine, I kind of started thinking, for some reason, I feel like I've seen that before. And then I go back through one of Andy Stump's things. and I'm like, dude, is this your hometown, like, sesh? And you're like, that's it. that's totally it so you get up in the morning let's just let's do johnny b good's daily routine and for those archers out there who you know you came to me to learn archery is for you know for fun it's like going to be your new side hobby right there's probably a lot of archery people that are looking for some type of side hobby so just in case they're looking for this one what is johnny b good's daily base jumping routine like start with the alarm going off what happens okay
1: so my my daily (laughs) my daily uh (laughs) yeah
0: okay um
1: typical day and then obviously there's lots of like the time of year, the weather's good, like things like that. So yeah. usually usually all things being equal, I'll um wake up at about six o'clock, six AM. I'll read for about forty five minutes or an hour.
0: Still normal.
1: Still normal. Let my dogs out, still normal. Yep. Like uh do the let them do their thing and then I'll usually go out to the bridge, which is seven minutes from my house, the one that you showed me video of last night. With
0: how many I have magic two,
1: packs. Uh, two or three magic backpacks in, <laughs> in my van ready, ready to go. Three in the chamber. <laughs> Can you put three in the chamber? <laughs> I don't think. Dude, so. Dude, <laughs> we've had
0: three arrows in my quiver, okay. so I mean yeah. it's not that different.
1: Yeah, so I'll go out and um, I'll do two to three jumps if the weather is good. Just jump off a bridge.
0: Mm-hmm. By seven a.m.
1: Uh, yeah, seven eight a.m. around, <laughs> ar- right around there. <laughs> Sometimes, um, there's just not just get three in, yeah, just go in and then the height the climb out can take anywhere from depending who you are, like 10 to 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so that'll be like the morning workout portion of it as well. Um, so yeah, go out and do two or three jumps and then I'll go into work. So and you, uh,
0: you do like 10 minute cardio with a 20 second rest, which is you jumping off the bridge and floating down. So yeah, if we're gonna break down to time, so it'll
1: take <laughs> it'll take what, two minutes to walk out there. You'll do you'll get a few seconds of free fall, like fifteen, twenty seconds of canopy, and then the climb out is like say ten to fifteen minutes of like high intensity interval training, depending how much you wanna get after yep. it. Get and that then, heart rate down. Yeah, and then do that two or three times. And then uh <laughs> yeah, resets. It's, it's a weird thing because it becomes like for me at this point like it becomes normal and you become kind of jaded to it or whatever, you know, and then like what I was saying to somebody before or uh, to one of my friends that doesn't jump recently, just saying like, if I could bottle the experience that I had in my first three hours this morning and gave it to you, it'd probably most be the most exhilarating morning you've ever had in your life,
0: you know, but for me it can
1: just be like, Oh, it's routine. And like, that's just my Wednesday or whatever, you know? So
0: it's so legit. Damn. That's awesome. Like normally in the morning, I'll get up, same type of thing. But then I like to shoot while it's calm. Mm-hmm. Whereas you're like, oh, no wind. Give me some backpacks. Yeah. It's similar for that. So you probably shoot archery at night now? Like, maybe
1: it'll, yeah, it'll change. And it'll probably just, um, yeah, it'll vary when I end up doing it. But like that whole thing, that routine that I was just outlining, like, That was my, I was dreaming of having that be a part of my life for a really long time because a lot of jumpers, especially that don't live where I live or have the, I'll say the privilege of living where I live, even though like uh, getting to the point of me being able to do that every day has involved a lot of sacrifice and I've given up a lot of things and, Mm -hmm. um, in order to make that my life, but I'm true, I'm very grateful that I'm able to do that as often as I as I am. (laughs) So
0: how many jumps do you have?
1: Um, I ju- i actually just passed sixteen hundred, so I've got oh nice uh sixteen hundred and thirteen, I think at base, the mm-hmm. just so, base jumps. Okay, dang, yeah. And ab- of that, about 800 and 850 of them are probably off the the bridge, so about half, a little over half.
0: Is there like a a code where if you're like if you're with a base jumper, and obviously some of the stuff that base jumpers do isn't technically legal so are there like code words where you say like you know i did the st like (laughs) sears tower or whatever like are there like
1: i'd say like if something is a is as high profile as that and people probably wouldn't talk about it very much in any kind of uh a public form or even like some people are they wouldn't even text about it or say anything about that and uh, so part of the code
0: is don't talk about it
1: for sure well there's there's kind of an ethical thing that There's an ethical thing that's somewhat unspoken, but people will talk about it in private. That's more, um, it's a good idea or it's good ethics to never make something more difficult for somebody else to jump. So if I go and I successfully jump off the Sears Tower, like
0: whatever you just—the knock on HQ.
1: Yeah, so if I go and currently do it, undone. Yeah, if I go and do a successful jump off that, the worst thing that I can possibly do is post a video on the internet, start telling everybody about it, and start to like puff my chest and want recognition. So for where now, it. there's
0: barbed wire around the top exactly, edge
1: of it. Exactly, exactly. And you ha- and you get that in certain areas, like in cities or areas you're not supposed to be in. If pe- if somebody gets caught or somebody, like a lot of times it can happen if people are visiting. Um, an area that they're not familiar with so if somebody rolls into a city say yeah san diego and they jump off like a hotel in downtown and then they post a video the next day and they don't tell anybody they didn't make an effort to come and like what you said um you asked me a couple of people's names and i was like oh yeah i know them i know everybody that you mentioned there's the whole idea in the world is six degrees of separation. They say in base jumping it's two degrees of separation. <laughs> so if you ask me if I know somebody and I don't know them, I guarantee you I know someone who knows them. Oh uh, yeah. That kind of way. So yeah. if you're rolling into a city and you don't know anybody there, it's very easy. If you're if you are a jumper, it's very easy to get in contact with the local people that live there. And out of respect, it's a nice thing to just contact them and say, hey, I'm rolling in this weekend. I would love to get a jump. Like, can you help me out? And then the person, like most of, most of the time, they'll they'll ask, "Who do you know?" Like, can we get some a reference from somebody if they don't know who you are? And then it's very easy to find that out. Yeah, sweet. Like, we're gonna go do this. Versus, they call it like burning an object if you yeah. come in and like you just jump it without telling anybody, and then you get in trouble. And then you make it. H- there could be a local guy who's been jumping it every Tuesday night for the last three years, and he has the place clocked, and he knows like when the security do their rounds or how do you <laughs> yeah. get past the elevator or whatever, it, whatever it happens to be. So yeah. So things, things like that do happen, but people don't talk about it very much. And so it is mission impossible. There's a lot, There are some missions that like that you're on and you're like, I'm fucking James Bond. Right now. <laughs> like there's, there's <laughs> things like that that happen for sure. Like the, the first, the first building I ever jumped was a real memorable one l- like that. I won't say where it was, but I was in um, a city for an evening. Crispy I got ho- cream. Donut, yeah. the crispy Kreme donuts, the OG one. Yeah. Okay. I thought and, so. And uh, so I got hooked up with a couple of guys who lived in a certain area. We met up, met these dudes in a parking lot at at midnight. Never met them before. I had just connected with them uh, through a mutual friend. Totally natural.
0: Totally natural.
1: <laughs> we went in, and one of the guys had, um, yeah, one of the guys had gotten access to this building through an underground parking lot that had, um, like, obviously, a guy who lived in the space loaned him his truck so he could go in and use the key cards and stuff got into the the stairwell we're walking up and as we're going up in the stairwell we hear the door open above us so we get out into the into the main floor of whatever um Mm -hmm. floor we were on and we ran down to the other end of the building and got into the opposite end of the stairwell because most stairwells have like um or most buildings will have a stairwell on either end of the corridor and we started going up those stairs Then the door, one of the doors opened at the level that we were at. And there was this giant Samoan security guard standing there just staring at us. And it was like, we were three dudes dressed in black with backpacks on. And we're just looking at each other. And one of the guys looks at me and he says, five more, is it? And he drops down and starts doing burpees. And he counts them down. He's like, five, four, three, counts them down, three, two, one. And the guy, the security guards are standing there staring at us. He finished the burpees and then we just looked at each other and then we just kept walking up the stairs and didn't say a word to him. <laughs> and he just walked down the stairs, never said anything to us. We CrossFit like, idiots. Yeah, we were like, he was like, oh, these idiots are just these white guys just working out in the working out in the stairwell like idiots, you know? So so yeah, anyways, that was um super memorable uh, piece of it. But there's lots of little missions like that that happened that... um.
0: Does that remind you a lot about how you got into the school of knock? Like just you know having to take that underground corridor, borrowing someone else's car. Like you <laughs> had yeah. someone else text me and like absolutely bump into a big security guard. outside say he doesn't say anything <laughs> to me and just kind of
1: lets me shimmy past him. Yeah, <laughs> what
0: I what I think is awesome is um I love the fact that the people that we you know, I shouldn't say we work with, I just feel like knock on is a family, you know, I feel like knock on nation is a family, but like you and I'm doing this, there's, there's so many people that would ask you, how did that happen? You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause you've never, you've literally been shooting archery like 24 hours right now. Right. Yeah. You know, (laughs) I just think that's awesome. Yeah, I love that. I love just, I love picking a random military person, just being like, hey, dude, you know, calling them, doing a podcast, doing a lesson, or just, you know, just, it's just very random, like, when I decide to say, let's do it. Yeah. Which is cool, because there's so many different, like, characters. But this has been really fun for me, because you're like, Super chill, super vibe, Uh, a very good student. But I think you really, you said you took, was it a year or so before you really committed to like, you know, you want to do this.
1: Yeah, it was right around, so this is like, um, it was right around a year, because I had just bought a house in Idaho, and we have quite a big um, property, and I was like, oh, this would be cool to put an archery range, and the lockdown had just started, so I was like. <laughs> just random, oh.
0: it'd be cool to put, like, this backyard looks like an archery range. Well, it's
1: happened, like because I've, like, I listened to a lot of Joe Rogan, and he's really into archery, and stuff with, uh, like, connect, connections through Jocko, and just, I have friends who are, like, into hunting, and I've been yep. invited out several times, and it's always kind of been. This thing that has been in the back of my mind, and I've just been shelving it, and now I'm kind of trying to broaden my activity base a little <laughs> more, I would guess. So so you went with an air rifle?
0: <laughs> yeah, I got an air <laughs> rifle from Walmart that
1: was like 70 bucks, and I was like, it's so loud, dude. I was like, and then I found out you can't discharge any kind of firearm within city limits. I was like, oh, I can shoot squirrels all day in my yard, you know, but... I was like, they uh, they can't get in trouble for the bow, I don't think. So I
0: love the squirrel (laughs) question. (laughs) (laughs) Have (laughs)
1: you ever shot a squirrel?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Today, which is day two of, uh, you know, he came in last night or yesterday. And we, I don't know, we should probably backtrack a little bit with whatever, you know, with the process. Because I'd love to get your side of that. But today you know we're at the point where the bows built you now have a sight on the bow and technically like training wheels are off now you have the ability to like ride this bike so i let you shoot for a while and kind of did did my coaching style and you know gave you some rope and you know chimed in when i thought thought i should and and then me being an idiot um you you wanted an all-black bow that was uh, 60. You wanted a 70-pounder. I kind of thought you've never shot. 60 would be good. But the bow came in, and it was like kind of a last-minute deal. So it had camo limbs on it. And I told you I don't have black limbs in that poundage, but I do have some mercury limbs in that poundage. So we did a black riser. Mercury limbs look dope and you'd already, we'd already set it up all day yesterday and you shot it. And then me being an idiot goes in this morning while we're doing a pour over coffee. And I said, you know, if you ever got those strings replaced, it would look really awesome if you had silver ones. (laughs) And you're like, you're like, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. And then I went out into the shop and, started rooting around and i found silver ones so i just brought them in there and kind of laid them on the counter and then when you came out of course you said
1: i was like how long would it take you to change
0: those up <laughs> <laughs> so i'm like well But okay. well, you tell me this would
1: look cool and you put them on the table and then i'm like well when am I going to be back here? I was like, Oh, well Never. maybe if I ever break these and you're like, well, if you look after it, you want not so you were setting it up that you have to do it anyway. So. Yeah.
0: And so I'm, I'm in the process of rebuilding his bow that was shooting great already. And this random question comes out of the air of, have
1: you ever killed a squirrel? <laughs> it
0: just sounds so awesome. And I'm like, Yes. I've like I've killed
1: everything. <laughs> <laughs> you said something like that.
0: Total Steven Seagal moment. Yeah, it was very true though, because I think back to some of the squirrels I've shot out of boredom and realized I'm much older now. I will watch those squirrels all day and not <laughs> not, <laughs> not act out, kill not, them. Yeah, <laughs> I, it, but I did tell you you know, the awesomeness, the awesomeness of a squirrel. So a buddy of mine uh, who is kind of one of the OGs to the Knock On Nation, Justin Hackett, him and I went on a turkey hunt together one time, and I told you this story. We were on a turkey hunt, and uh, there was this squirrel. The turkey hunting was very slow, and there was this squirrel up on this oak tree, big oak tree, and he was he was kind of taunting taunting i thought he was taunting justin personally so i just let him know dude that squirrel is taunting you and he just and then he looked at it and he said i'm not going to shoot that thing if if i miss it then i'm going to f- hit that big freaking you know that the big oak trees right behind it I just said, oh, dude, what, you can't make the shot type thing? And then, of course, he rips one. And a squirrel does what a squirrel does, which is freaking Barry Sanders' juke and arrow. And he centers this oak tree with a perfectly fresh arrow that sounded, in my opinion, awesome. And then throughout the course of the day, I went on to coax him into, are you really going to take that and let him shoot all of the arrows and miss the squirrel into that tree, Um, which was pretty cool. And I told you, yes, I've shot a squirrel, but they are also like ninjas Mm -hmm. in a way, you know, respect to squirrels. (laughs) But I would say if you go back, even if you can shoot archery in the city limits, I would save the squirrel for another day. I would start on something like maybe an elk. Yeah.
1: I mean, that was the thing. It was like, I
0: know at this point
1: I'll be wasting however many hours I have sitting in my boot next, next to me. But
0: yeah, I, I, future goals. I had this bright idea one time, whitetail hunting. This squirrel came out and it was, it was chattering and it was, it was, it was getting annoying. And I thought, okay, well it's squirrel for dinner. That's just, that settles that. This squirrel came out on this limb. So I got my camera and I kind of put it in high speed because I thought this will be cool to get a slow motion, like tick-tocking arrow for this squirrel shot. Little did I know that the squirrel was like actually Neo from the Matrix. And so what the video actually showed was me making a shot at the squirrel and then the squirrel looking... Like as soon as the bow went off, the squirrel looked right at the bow and then went on to use its tail as a karate chopper to swap my arrow out of the air. And the squirrel went off like scot-free, which was I thought was really cool. So I did tell you the squirrel story, and you did get your strings changed. Yep. But, <laughs> it's
1: martyred out now.
0: Yeah, it is. It's a a black riser. Mercury limbs, freaking silver strings and cables. It looks pretty good. So good. It looks awesome. I mean, we haven't really been able to test it past 20 yards other than just to get your sight scale. Because, I mean, we've got like what three inches of rain and 40 mile an hour winds for yeah. the last few days you're yeah, pretty i don't know about base jumping but for archery that's what you want
1: <laughs> yeah it's exactly the same <laughs> same yeah
0: yeah yeah I, th- I feel like anytime you can get that kind of a quality day you need to take advantage of it for sure <laughs> so then what happens past your three magic backpack rides
1: um so yeah, in terms of that, I'll go into work. So I also, I run, uh, I own a retail store selling um, parachutes and accessories for base jumping. Surprise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'll go in and just fulfill whatever orders, like a lot of my business is uh, online. So I'll go in in the mornings and fulfill whatever needs to be done and do c- computer work. Basically, from That's basically from like nine until lunchtime, I guess. And um, yeah, I'll do that. Then I'll probably go home, check on the dogs again. Go back, go back to work. I only live, so the town I live in is real small. So it's, the bridge is seven minutes from my house, one direction. And then my house is five minutes, or my work is five minutes in the opposite direction. So it's this huge, like, loop. Yeah, it's just really, everything's really close. When so. do you start teaching? Uh, it depends. So we only, so the school, I work at a school called Snake River Base Academy. And um, it's very... Uh, creative name, considering the Snake River is the river that runs through the canyon I mean. that uh, that we jump into. So, so yeah, it's one of the um, it's one of the few schools that operates twelve months a year. Uh, most of them shut down seasonally. It's not very pleasant to be jumping there during the winters. So, and uh, we usually do one to two courses a, a month. And um, we run courses that are considered like beginner, intermediate, and m- more advanced skill. Like you'd call it advanced, but it's still kind of just an expansion on intermediate skills. Mm-hmm. So the, the intro course is four days long. And that's primarily just to get you to the point where you can jump the bridge unsupervised. So that's the first four days, basically. And there's lots of people that do courses that are similar to that. Uh, in town some some of the schools are based in town, and some people fly in with their students and they'll like um yeah they'll just run their class that way and then everybody leaves afterwards.
0: How many people are on a bridge on a good day
1: uh, on a week- on a weekend in the like on a weekend in the mid to late summer fall, which is kind of the the best time i guess or the most popular time mm-hmm. um, you could have like 30 people probably hanging out at the bridge on a Saturday. And
0: they'll jump multiple times. Yeah. Day. They'll
1: just jump, hike out, repack at the top. There's a nice like grass area that um, you can hang out in and people will just kind of do cycles like that. But there's actually a couple of people that run boat services down at the bottom as well. So you can <laughs> jump down, Get on this boat. You have a really nice boat ride. That's like a mile down down river, and then you pay five bucks for the ride or twenty bucks for the day. Is typically what they charge, and then you can have a car staged at the bottom and just drive back up the top, repack, and go again. I like it. Yeah, and people will just stay in that kind of a routine. So,
0: how many people splash in a day in the water, yeah. like <laughs> intentionally or unintentionally? <laughs> unintentionally. <laughs>
1: unintentionally. I wouldn't say too. Uh, like it's it happens often enough that it's not unusual if you see somebody w- taking it in the water for whatever reason, like they might've opened too low or they might've opened up with a twist and they don't correct it in time. And and that's kind of one of the attractions to the bridge in Idaho. It's in twin falls, Idaho. Mm-hmm. I don't think I said that is because you have the water there. So if you do get into issues, instead of breaking your legs, trying to fly something onto the land that you're not capable of, you can just land in the water. And the, the age old saying is that, uh, your gear will dry faster than it than it takes for a broken leg to heal, or there's some kind of, some nicer way of phrasing that. <laughs> but it's uh, some you you dry faster than your heel. That's the <laughs> okay. that's that's what it is. So, so yeah, it's very attractive for that reason.
0: What happens if you go in water with the parachute? I should know this because I think I learned it.
1: Yeah, um, it's nothing necessarily happens. Like, there's a technique for it. Obviously, like if you uh fortunately that river is quite slow moving but typically like if you try to swim against the parachute you're just pulling <laughs> pulling the lines towards you and you're filling this 250 square foot area wi- with water you know so the idea is to swim back a little bit and get tension on the lines between mm-hmm. you and it and then swim around it to the top of the parachute and then you can actually grab the attach the bridle attachment and s- and swim with it so you can typically do that or if there's a boat if it's summer and there's a boat down there the people who drive the boats know how to how to Scoop get you, you in. up yeah exactly like but basically it just adds it doesn't necessarily damage your gear it just ages it a little further so it makes it makes the parachute get older quicker basically if there's if it gets water in it
0: we've been wanting to do Sharon and I've been wanting to do like a team building type event so we're thinking base jumping off the bridge would be solid for the employees to to just have like a low-risk type of team-building activity. Is that true? Extremely low-risk. Yeah. We uh, could we could even set it up. You'd have no supervision as well if you want to make it even less okay. risky. That's good. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I'm looking for right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All Unfo- right. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's really
1: hard with stuff like that because when I do meet people and they're like, oh, my God, I'd love to try that. And you're like, oh, well, you got to learn and become a sky, you got to go become a skydiver first. Or we often have people just walking in off the street saying, oh, I always see people jumping off the bridge like... <laughs> And you're like, well, that's cool, but (laughs) you have to go over here and spend some time doing it, like uh, spend some time learning how to fly a parachute before you come back to us. So it's not this, unfortunately, it's not this thing you can just offer to everybody. So
0: that's one of the things that I feel like I wish just, you know, honestly, with everything that went on with my progression, like I loved learning to jump out of the plane with Andy and Trevor. It was awesome, but then, like, shortly after, Trevor moved to Salt Lake, and then, you know, Andy moved to Montana, and, like, everybody was away from San Diego, so, yeah. like, it just seemed like I didn't see Andy and Trevor jumping somewhere together all the time, so we did, I think we did a few wind tunnel things together after some hunts, you know, we just, just so I could work on control and flying. But the one thing with certification, which was awesome, but also one thing that I at this point kind of regret was when I learned the free fall stuff and it was very strict on like when you pulled and then it was very strict, which I think is critical for safety reasons, like your approach like altitude for your total approach into the DZ and then, you know, what altitude you turn at. And then, you know, there was a very specific, like, Hey, beginners, yep. you know, you're in canopy down this pretty much this river basin until this altitude. And then you're going to bank left until this altitude. And then you're going to bank left again. And then you're going to be approaching the DZ into a pretty broad area where then, You know, at least for me, I had someone in my ear that was saying, like, flare, 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 which was awesome from a learning perspective, but I feel like I would not know how to fly a canopy, even though I've jumped, you know, since my first jump, I've always been by myself jumping out, and, you know, as soon as you pull, it's not like, even though for your first few jumps, someone's hanging on to your, pretty much hanging on to your pants and, like, your shoulder, until you eventually learn control, and then you're on your own for your last three. I think is that right? Or maybe your last three progression. Your free. Your your unattended. Yep. Where you actually leave the plane on your own, and you're, you know, you pretty much do turns, I think f- flips on your back, then uh, track right. If yeah, I there's, there's a
1: progression. I think the total number of it is nine. Maybe it is. That you eight do eight on that. And it's, yeah, and it starts out, you have two guys holding on to you, and then you progress to one guy, and then you progress to the guy jumps next to you, but he's not holding you. And there's, there's a very yeah. progressive and the same with skills. Like on this jump, you're going to do a front flip and then get stable, and then the next one you do a back flip and then get stable, and then you do a barrel
0: roll and get stable, and then you do all three and get stable, and that's kind of the... I did all three and failed one. I didn't realize like on my third jump that you weren't supposed to do all three of those and pull at the at the same time yeah <laughs> but i there wasn't much for like instruction on canopy flying, like okay. you know other than at this altitude, which honestly it's been you know I don't even remember it right now, but um. I wouldn't really know how to fly a canopy around mm-hmm. because that wasn't, it was described of when you pull, you know, when you pull, you want to, you know, steer yourself towards, you know, this area. And they kind of had you pull soon enough to where, you know, I got the feel of, you know, just pulling right hard and kind of swinging around a bit, then stabilizing, and pulling left hard and swinging around. And, yeah. you know, there was a, I would say 80% of your time, <clears throat> you're flying that big ass canopy around, you know, during that progression. Absolutely. But I don't know where it would go. Like after that, like when you do your certs after that, is it your B, is it your B or was that the A? Yeah.
1: Your A is getting, basically getting cleared to jump unsupervised. Okay. And then then, you can get your B when you have 50 skydives. I believe. thought it was 20 something. Uh, I and I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure it's 50. You get to 50 cuz you can get um maybe the A's is 20 25 is your A. Okay. So that. you you finish the intro course okay. that's 9 and then you can continue on to 25 mm-hmm. and then you get like you do like what's called a solo check dive. Okay. And that's where you do all of the skills in one jump that you learned over the course of the they call it AFF. It's accelerated freefall program. Yeah. And then at yeah, fifty jumps you can get your B license, at two hundred jumps you get your C license, and then at five hundred plus you can get what's called a D license. And that's basically um the skate after yeah. Get. yeah.
0: So when do you start learning like canopy control? You can take
1: um there's they run specific lots of places will have specific uh, canopy skills courses. And most drop zones, um, like most skydiving centers will have people on staff that run those courses or can direct you to, there might be one in your area or different ones like that to, mm. to learn how to do that. And that's kind of, when you're coming into something like base jumping, most most people teaching base jumping require or highly recommend that you have about 200 skydives before you start base jumping. Okay. And the main reason for that is like what you were just saying, it's a lot of, like figuring out uh, your sight picture and judgment on how close the ground is and how much time you have to turn and how it's going to come around because in a typical skydive, say, you're free-falling for about a minute and then you have about five minutes under canopy. You can obviously pull lower and have less canopy time, but that's roughly what it is for a beginner. And your canopy is monstrous. Yeah, your canopy is quite big. And like people in skydiving, will, as when you get experience, the goal is to get as small as possible because they're like sports cars; they get faster, and you can do more snazzy turns and turn yeah, sharper. Tr- and
0: tre- I don't. I've never seen yours, but Trevor's doesn't seem like it's much bigger than this table. <laughs> yeah, I mean, dude. Yeah, they can get quite He sounds like a bullet coming in. Yeah, I they mean, do.
1: They're, like, they're they're really high speed.
0: Yeah, when I was first, like, when I first landed and I'm walking across, they're kind of saying, like, you know, hey, watch out. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't see anyone coming in, but you don't realize you hear people coming in before they're there. Like, yeah. you hear, like, Shh, and then you realize, like, here's Trevor doing, yeah. you know, whatever his move is. is he's like dragging r- their toe across the Yeah, grass it's like running like wheelie that. thing that he did, yeah. you know, he's <laughs> like. He had, like, clam digger pants so he could show his calf muscles. <laughs> <laughs> those diamond cutters, out. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. He's freaking chiseling in.
1: Yeah, but, um, like, with within that, most of the, like, everybody's kind of scared about the initial free fall and jumping off something. That's I attached love that to the part, ground. dude. Exa- absolutely, because that's the terrifying part. It's, like, everything in your body is telling you not to do it, and you're, you're like, forcing, your, you're being courageous in the face of fear is kind of dude. the...
0: The suckiest part about that certification is having to go to the back door and just, like, sit there and then do, like, one, two, like where you're taking your foot and you're doing, like, I got my left foot out, I got my left foot in, I got my left foot out. Like, doing the one, two, three sucked because, like, when I was learning, I'm up at the front of the plane right behind the pilot and obviously you know this, but I'm describing it for the listeners. And so all the cool people are towards the back and they're wanting to get the hell out of the way of all the students that don't know what they're doing. But dude, as soon as everyone was out, I just wanted to run and freaking (laughs) jump out of that thing. I felt so dumb having to like hold on and like dangle my foot out and dangle my foot out and then kind of fall like, you know it's almost like jumping out in the hall like if if you were hiding behind a a hallway and someone was walking down then you had to like jump out in like a jumping jack position yeah that's what i had to do and it felt so dumb yeah i wanted to just pete rose out of that sucker just (laughs) Just let's get it on yeah that's so cool
1: and i mean that comes obviously with time and experience and everything and i think that um like the the reason people require that you have so much like two hundred like to somebody that's never done a jump, you say two hundred skydives. You're like, oh my god, that sounds like a lot, and you're like, it's actually it's not really a lot. Like if you say oh two hundred arrows to practice or something, because you think <laughs> that's two days. Yeah, and you or think like day, yeah. oh, so if you get a minute of free fall, that's uh, two hundred skydives is two hundred minutes of practice, which is essentially not it's not yeah. a lot. It's like yeah. an hour and a half of practicing, you know, mm-hmm. a couple of hours. Like you're not um.
0: That's why the wind tunnels are so freaking. Exactly. legit. Exactly, they're, they're for great me. for that.
1: And um, the In terms of judgment, like for base jumping, when, we, when you first start base jumping off the bridge, you're only going to have 15, 20 seconds under parachute, maybe 30. So we do it in a progressive way. So the first one, you just have to exit the bridge, and we actually deploy the parachute for you. So we're holding the back of it. Oh, and damn. We, so all you have to do is fly that pattern and put it down. And we'll do that a few times, get you comfortable with it. And then you'll do method called handheld. So you'll have um, you'll be holding the pilot chute in your hand. So you throw that into the air. It inflates and that opens your backpack and so You're not the actually
0: down. reaching back to grab it. You already yeah, you, have, you have it. you have
1: it in your hand already. So so <laughs> there you we kind of prog- it's progressive in terms of how much responsibility you get from the beginning. So first it's you just have to exit and we'll and we'll throw it open it for you. The second one you exit with it already in your hand and you just have to throw it and then you get comfortable with that and then you go to what you're used to from skydiving where you have to reach back and deploy it. And each one of those methods is progressively opening you lower as well. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have less time to deal with the situation that you get presented with when the parachute comes out. And that's kind of why it's beneficial to be over open, an open body of water and have a big field to land in. And cause the, the amount of time that you have to say deal with unforeseen things that happen um, becomes less and less. And yeah, yeah. And that's where that's the that's the dangerous part of it is because you just don't have a lot of time to fix mistakes and mistakes happen. So
0: so now think about that progression that you guys do for students and then think back to your progression for like when you learned like when I started teaching you like where was that?
1: Yesterday morning, yeah, with drawing chalk on the f- on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's how we started. It's I'm, similar. I I'm holding that. your
0: parachute.
1: Yeah, you're holding my parachute, and you gave me the um,
0: the pretty much the instruction. Yeah, and had you do more or less dry runs, but you weren't you weren't in control of the bow.
1: Yeah, so dry runs all morning, like it was a couple hours of of uh, just chatting about that, and you gave me a release and um, the silverback, I believe, was the. When we were using, and then the... um, I'm going to get the names wrong and sound like a (laughs) total beginner. I should know this after after 24 hours. uh, You should know this shit. Uh, Yeah, so I gave you a shot trainer. Shot trainer, there you go. And that, yeah, so just getting positioning right and everything, and I used to be, prior to... um, the base swimming world, I was a weightlifting coach and mm-hmm. I was telling you that we do a similar like we'd give you a PVC pipe or a broomstick and we do the same thing, drawing chalk around your feet on the ground to uh just understand what positioning and all that feels like and get your get your body used to like starting to build that muscle memory without yep. without just putting like seventy pounds in your hand and having to deal with pressure and shaking and adjusting and all that kind of stuff. So
0: And we talked about um I told you that making a good shot is easier than making a bad shot. Just in regards to if you make a good shot, then you've been so efficient with posture and draw cycle and anchor position and preload and you're letting off the safety and you're not having to fight your aim a lot. And as you pull through that release, the activation is effortless because your posture has put you in a position to where your preload is almost perfect to where when you let off that safety, it takes a minimal amount of effort to get the execution to happen. And you said, yeah, I was the same way when you were telling me, you know, when you were getting your PBs, you actually got so efficient at the movements that you went, you regressed in your overall strength because you were so efficient in the movement of that exercise
1: yeah yeah i had said that my my clean and jerk numbers were going up and snatch were actually gone up and my squat and press numbers had actually gone down so i was we we would have said that i was faster than i was strong Mm -hmm. so i was so efficient at getting under the bar quick and just having really good technique and um, efficiency with my movement that I didn't need as much strength as uh, say the guy next to me who could actually squat more than me but couldn't get under the barbell as fast as I can get down there so yeah it was um, yeah and I think that um, th- I thought about that after um, when you were saying like it's effortless almost and I was working with a gymnastics coach a few years back and I remember them saying to me, I was like, Oh, these guys make it look so easy when we were learning backflips or something. And he was like, it's not that they make it look easy. It's that they let it look easy. Oh, damn. Yeah, And I thought that that was a cool way of kind of when you're putting all those, cause in the beginning you're thinking about stance and shoulder and grip and positioning and all that kind of stuff but after a certain amount of time when those things flow together and you just allow the shot to happen like what you were saying i think that that's a, a very similar concept as you're just you're letting all the pieces come together instead of trying to force it and yeah muscle it and
0: i almost said this to you yesterday but i you know you and i didn't know each other very long so i didn't want to come across as like arrogant but what i want one of the things i wanted to say when you were doing it and you know, there were times where I could tell you were you were fighting things that you didn't need to fight, but obviously it was very early. So as a progression happens, I'm sure if you went and watched me skydive or every time Andy and Trevor watched me, you know, jump or go in a wind tunnel, they were thinking like, dude, you know, you're you're tr- you're putting in more effort for this than what you really need to. And I remember them telling me that a lot actually. Um, But I wanted to tell you that, you know, I've always wanted, I've always wanted, like when I shoot and someone looks at me, I want it to look easy. And I remember very vividly, I saw a picture of a shooter. This is like early nineties. I saw a picture of a shooter in 3D Times Magazine. His name was Larry Weir, and I remember he had, like, a pair of Oakleys. I think, I don't know if he was wearing them, but he might have had them on the top of his hat. But it was a picture of him at full draw, and it was right after he won a world championship. And I remember thinking, that dude looks so cool shooting. Like, he did not look like, it looked like the bow was fake. It looked like the bow was already bent and just had, like, a Hollywood string on it to where they just said, like, hey, just put tension on this string and just stay at full draw until we get some pictures. But he looked so effortless and just – and I remember showing um, my boss at the time, uh, Joel Maxfield, who was GM at Matthews then. I remember saying, like, dude, have you ever watched Larry shoot? And he goes, he looked – he looks so freaking cool at full draw he's like he always looks effortless at full draw and he was he was a you know he was a world champion pistol shooter just a true marksman yeah um black belt archery guru just freaking stud but he made archery look so easy and it wasn't until honestly not that long ago that I posted a picture and someone made like a comment that was, I remember word for word what I had told Joel about Larry. And I thought like, holy crap, it's taken me two decades to get to the point where I'm shooting a bow and to someone else, it looks effortless because I think that's like, that's the end goal is to get to where you're so efficient at it to where you make it look easy. And I know yeah. when, when people are true craftsmen of their trade, um, you know, you watch an amazing, you know, you watch like some of the Olympics, right? Some of these, some of these girls that are on the floor doing freaking all that stuff they do. And you think, Jesus, that, like, you just feel like you could run down the hall and do, like, you know, 50 hand-over-hand flips and spin around. But then you try it, and you break your neck on the ground. You know, it's, like, never going to happen. Yeah. I remember I was in – I'm trying to think. I I believe I was in um, Madrid, Spain. And I was working with um, the national team there, and – for some reason there was for some reason I had to go to the um to the Olympic training center. And I don't remember why I was at the like the main the main center, but because Archery was in a separate facility where like rugby was and something else, I forget, but I went to the another main center. Maybe it was for some type of a banquet or something that I had to go to. But that is where um, the women's and men's gymnasts trained. And so I remember going in and watching this Spanish gymnast, females and males, freaking warm up. Like, and it was insane. Like, watching them, dude. There's this whole wall of, like, um, wooden bars where they kind of like put their arms in there. Yep. And just to warm up, it was just core exercises. And I'm talking murderous stuff. Right. <laughs> and they were all just like, you know, come in with their coffee and they're like high five. And it's, it's like another day of Olympic training yeah. for these athletes. Yeah. And they just get in there and they're like, all right, you know, 100 kickups or whatever they did. And they put their arms in these things and they're just freaking doing kick ups. And then they're like, okay, a hundred scissor kick, you know, and they're just freaking doing all this stuff. And then, you know, and then they just start stretching on the rings and then, and then they go into like what they do on the rings. Yeah. And it, it and I was watching this stuff and then they're on the horse and the, you know, the gals are on the, the balance beam. Right. And then, I remember watching this for an hour thinking, you know, geez, that's freaking rad. And then when they were all done at the end of the day, I was going back by there, and I thought, like, I'm just going to go in there and, you, Throw know, down. Be, you know. I'm going to be super athlete and, you know, watch this. I don't do gymnasts, but watch what I do with these scissor kicks on the wall. And yep. then all of a sudden I'm just like, ah, you know. Felt like a little freaking – Total wussy, not even be able to (laughs) do like 10 of whatever they warmed up with for 20 minutes. Yeah. And then, you know, tried to do something cool on the Iron Horse and, you know, broke my wrist or whatever I did, you Mm -hmm. know, and just thought like, this is ridiculous because they were just telling jokes, laughing around, making this thing that you watch on TV. When you watch it, you don't realize the freaking craft. Yeah, they're of, like that's the
1: thing is they yeah. they have mastery and they're letting it look e- they're letting it look easy. That yeah. kinda, and I love like any kind of artistic pursuit, I guess, like that that requires so much time training. And you could say archery or weightlifting or gymnastics or flying a wingsuit or doing anything that
0: involves like lots yeah, of wingsuits are freaking
1: exactly like everybody's like oh do you think oh i could do, totally do
0: that you know you <laughs> put one on it's like dude you will you yeah. will literally kill yourself you you're gonna look anything. like casper flying Absolutely. out of an airplane like into, very, a f- and into the ground
1: and that's an, another thing as well as like with that so i've on, i only have like 30 wingsuit skydives but the first time i had one of those on i'm like it was the most stressful few minutes of my entire life. Like trying to fi- like, cause I'm just potato chipping up and down and like trying to fight it and like trying to muscle myself into being stable and stuff. But it's, then you actually have to truly, you're in the most intense environment you're ever going to be in. And the key to making it work is relaxing and allow, cause they're like the suit will fly itself and you give these micro you just have to stretch it. Yeah. And you stretch it out, keep tension and give micro adjustments. And it can be similar to like holding the bow and it's like, the slightest movement of your wrist can cock it to the side and it's going to mess up your shot. And it's the same same kind of thing as mm-hmm. you could be 500 feet further to the right in a couple of seconds as you intended on being just because your right shoulder was slightly lower than it was supposed to be. You know, so
0: Imagine if you could do a wingsuit simulator to where someone got instruction and then you watched one of Andy's, like, freaking legit mm-hmm. flies. Yeah. But then you put someone in a simulator to where you'd be like, okay, you know how to do it, yeah. so let's see if you can do this. Yeah, and dude, I bet you a hundred percent of the people would freaking smack that cliff. Oh,
1: absolutely. So they have, um, they have um, a, a wingsuit tunnel in yeah. S- in Sweden. Have you been? Mm-hmm. I went to it. Oh, uh, you did? A couple of years ago. Yeah, my. Andy wife and told I, me about it. Wife and I went over there, and um, the way that they do that is origi- uh, initially, when you're in there, you're actually hanging from ropes. So there's ropes actually supporting you to stop you from flying into the wall, and you also have an instructor holding you. Oh, damn! And, um, yeah, th- it's a very progressive thing as well. So they they try to teach you to fly up a little bit, come back down, fly down a little bit, come back up, left, right, forward, back, and their their idea is that you can correct positioning in a mm-hmm. in a 360 degree up up and down plane. Yeah, and then they'll progress to taking the ropes off and the guy holds you, and then you're able to do everything while he's just standing there and then they get to the point of you doing it by yourself. But, it I mean, it'll take, when you say an hour in there, you're in there for a couple of minutes, and then they stop, and you have to, like, reassess and think about what you did and get it debriefed, and then you go in again for another couple of minutes, and it's very progressive that way. But I think, like, the simulator, what you were talking about, where you could watch a video of somebody else's flight, and you're like, okay, stay on the same track as he <laughs> was in, and it turns into a video game. I'd say that that's not too far off if, it, yeah. if it's not already created somewhere, you know? But yeah,
0: and that would be... Well, it'd be terrifying for a lot of people. Yeah, they absolutely. would have a whole different respect. Yeah. I've always said if I was a legit millionaire to where I had money to burn, dude, a wind tunnel would be, oh, be on so. my list. Yeah. I mean, if you just said, you know, if your friends came over, it'd be one thing if you said like, hey, you want to go do go-karts in my garage? Like, in my garage? what? It, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People have that. Yeah. If you just said, Who wants to go skydive? Yeah, and and you just turn that fan on. Yeah. Imagine if your house was a big circle, like Tony Stark's, but in the middle was just a freaking eye fly. Giant tube. You just turn that fan on and just eat up a thousand dollars a minute. Oh, would be so it.
1: fun. There's um,
0: <laughs> one of the Saudi,
1: or the Saudi prince has one. He's actually a pretty, uh, very well established skydiver. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And it might be like my geography of that is terrible. So I'll just say the Prince of Saudi, I think. It might be um, Abu Dhabi, maybe. But I've got to not ask to
0: but teach archery there. Oh, no. Way. Anyone has connections to the. Yeah. I mean, to you the know, Prince's I fly machine, I well, might you take know, you up, you on know, that.
1: six base jumpers now. So like <laughs> you, you can get contacts to anybody, <laughs> anyone in the world that does it. I guess dude, but, I'm so. within the 2%. Yeah, exactly. Uh, easily. <laughs> yeah.
0: So with your progression, uh, first was instruction on the ground, uh, shot trainer release sh- execution with the shot trainer, learning anchor position, mm-hmm. um, that's one of the things where I wish there was a machine to where when you pulled that back, like if I could put magnets in your face to where when you pulled that back, it sucked your index finger and middle finger to the same spot. Yep. You know, and then you learned where that was because as soon as you pulled the, you know, I, ha- I have like an air bow that I train with. And when you pulled that back, as soon as it wasn't that string and it was an actual physical thing you were holding that came back, then your anchor just immediately totally changed yeah. after. I don't feel like I could have drilled it in any better. Yeah, But I think- it, it never changed. It's the same for everybody. Like through this progression, it's like I reiterate it, reiterate it, because I know what's going to happen when I give you this object that has strings and wheels and limbs. Yeah. It's like everything goes out the window. And then I don't feel like we could have done that anymore before I gave you your bow. And then same thing, right? You like, kind of you just go full berserker and like, <laughs> kind of <Yeah. laughs> act like I gave this to you for the very first <laughs> yeah. time.
1: And I mean, I think that that's normal as a coach and as somebody that's constantly trying to evolve your own, your own craft as a teacher and uh, thinking of new tools that you can give your students to use and get it to be more efficient. But in terms of doing from nothing to a shot trainer, to an air bow, to a real bow, like you can try to fill those gaps always. But at the end of the day, like that's why you're you're in a valuable position because there's not this automatic thing that can just put my arm in a position it needs you to say okay pull it back half an inch move it forward lean into it a little bit more and those are the like such simple words but so important to have an educated experience <laughs> possible to understand exa- exactly you, and yeah. it's just and then eat with each one of the with each rep of of that for myself it's getting more consistent. I'm getting muscle memory. I'm like, okay, now that feels like it felt when he said it was good and you just need repetition and reps and stuff like that. And that's why it's good as well. So you'll give me, I work really well autonomously. So I need a couple of things to work on and then I need some time by myself to practice those things. And then I need to come back and need more instruction, get a couple more things that I've, I've fixed a couple and I've found a new, <laughs> a few new things to, yeah. to do wrong. And then it just keeps flowing like that, you know? So so yeah, I don't know. I don't think you can ever have the one, beautifully perfect method or system or anything. You, it seems it seems to be pretty well structured the way it is from now, uh, at the moment.
0: It's hard because it seems like the, especially a male's brain is so, it's programmed totally different than a female. Do you find that with base jumpers? If you're teaching a female base jumper versus a male,
1: they're all the same though. Oh, not gonna go there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'll go there because honestly, as a coach, I can see a very big difference. Females are better students than males.
1: They'll, they'll, no uh, question, they're
0: very detail, process-oriented, and they are better learners out of the gate.
1: Yeah, I would I would say that, and it's a very bold statement to make. But typically, when women come, especially in our, it's a very heavily male-dominated sport uh, for uh, in terms of base jumping. Mm-hmm. Very few uh, ladies doing it. I would say we have about one in thirty, if even that, mm-hmm. uh, females to males coming in. But the women that do come in are typically a lot better prepared like they've put more thought into it. They're usually more experienced skydivers. They, they have their packing on point. You're they've, not
0: telling them what to do five times before they get yeah, it. Yeah.
1: And they don't like you will <laughs> say things once or they won't make as many excuses like a guy, yeah. a guy, cause a guy, when you criticize a guy, sometimes they can be, and it's not everybody, but like you can c- kind of make general statements Is they'll get a little bit more defensive or they're yeah. kind of like you're attacking their egos. So yeah. to speak in certain ways versus a woman to just be like, Oh, I'm sorry, I'll try to do it right or so, or something like yeah. like that, you know, so.
0: Yeah. Yeah, if you said you would, I mean, you you would probably get a defense mechanism if you said that base jump pack color is look stupid on you. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. then you they would maybe be defensive. <laughs> yeah. But a dude if you just said like, "Hey man, you're you're pulling that shoot, like a second too late," they'd be like, "Uh, Watch like forty videos on it. <laughs> yeah, know, or like,
1: yeah, my buddy told me that to do this or something <laughs> yeah, like that. Probably. yeah, a girl yeah.
0: would be like, "Oh, okay, one second. Okay, thank you." Yeah, you and know.
1: and I will say that the women typically that do that you come across in base swimming are very strong women. Like they're very alpha female almost in many ways, and not to say that they're not feminine. I'm just mean they're very like it's a very it's a very dangerous sport that rep- that requires people to be. Have a certain kind of mentality about it. So the women that do go into it are typically very, like, not your typical. Yeah, I wouldn't think there'd be a
0: lot that would say, Hey, should we do, like, should we be a mom this weekend and, like, go (laughs) to Chuck E. Cheese or, like, do, or, Hey, I have an idea. Let's go out with 30 other dudes and jump off a bridge. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, so.
1: And I mean, there's lots of, I have lots of female friends who are moms and jumpers and they are very girly and they still love getting their nails done and going to spa and all that yeah. kind of, that kind of thing. I but, do. But yeah, I'll at the same time, they're, on. yeah. If you are hanging out with they dirty dudes, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> if you are hanging out with dirty dudes, jumping off a belly, like you got to have thick skin because of just even the conversation alone that's going on is <laughs> so usually,
0: have you ever had a manicure, pedicure? I have not. How to use dude. I like foot massages
1: and so I've never had a manicure or pedicure, but I like like.
0: Well, the foot massage, like it, I it, that tickled. Just you saying that, it's like <laughs> hard, it's like hard for me to to get past that. But I remember um this one time I was coming through Vancouver and I had a long layover and I had been in moose camp for like ten or twelve days and I had a moose tag and a bear tag and dude, you just, you get swamp foot up there. Like if you're where the moose are, you're just <laughs> in like moss and swamp. And you know, if you're lucky, it's, there's like frost on the puddles at night. So in the morning it's freezing at night, you get back, you know, the hours are short. You get back late. You're like trying to start a fire. It's never, you never get your boots dry. Like, cause at least from my point of view, every time i put them close enough to a fire to get them dry, I freaking shrunk them Mm -hmm. to where I can't fit in them anymore. So my feet were dude. I mean, I looked like Frodo in the last freaking, (laughs) you know, return of the King video. My feet were hideous. So you want to, your, so I thought, I thought like I went by that freaking thing and I thought, i bet if i got these babies cleaned up like sharon's not gonna look at them say oh my god what's wrong with your feet because my toenails were like stained like the bottom of a pond (laughs) they were just brown you know and all my toenails were cracked and i I actually posted a photo of my feet at the end of that trip and people were like i cannot ever forget about this picture (laughs) I need to show you it. So I freaking went and got a. I'll never forget that lady's face when she pulled. My socks oh my off. god! I felt so terrible. You,
1: let, you even let her take your, like you didn't even. Dude, want, you couldn't even. Make I remember do. she
0: like, she like filled the thing up with hot water, and then like put. You know, I don't know if they put soap in there or bleach or acid or what but I remember like that was in there and then she like turned on the thing and it's like going and it's kind of like bubbling and then she like grabbed my socks and like pulled my socks off which like my shoes I had by that point I had like my travel shoes okay. and like fresh socks yeah it's not like I look like a freaking mountain man I yeah. looked I looked like a normal dude walking through the airport and then the sock came off and she realized like, Oh my God, this guy has never cleaned his feet. (laughs) And I remember she just like, her eyes got really big and she like looked at this foot. And I remember she like reached over and grabbed that stuff and just like (laughs) squirted a whole bunch more inside there. And then just like put my finger in or my feet in there. And then like added like three minutes to her timer and like hit the thing. (laughs) But, you know, uh, hey, thank you lady in Vancouver that did that because, man, my my freaking claws look sweet when I came out of there. You want to talk it,
1: about being underpaid, like whatever they're charging, <laughs> dude, I bet that. it's like the stuff they have to deal with, I'm sure that they deserve a lot more. Well, That's,
0: you know how it says like recommended tip and it's like 15, 20, 25, because they always like add that 5%. Right. They're like 15, 20, 25 I was just like, it's 25. <laughs> like, give me <laughs> yeah. 35. Cause I like, yeah. I know. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I know. And on that same trip, I remember um, uh, in the Prince George airport, they like, when they checked my bag, of course, my bag's long and heavy. So they said, "Oh, this is oversized. You need to just have them go over there and TSA will inspect it." So I went over there and and yeah, you know, I I would have preferred it was a dude like me to where I could have said like, "Sorry, bro, been in Moose Camp all you know week or two weeks," but instead, you know, it's a lady and she's just like, "Good morning," you know how was your trip to Canada? And I'm like, great. Thank you very much. And she's like, I just need to open up and kind of inspect your case. And I'm like, all right. And meanwhile, dude, when I travel and I'm trying to travel light, especially on a hunt, I'm kind of on the, the flip rule. So like if I've got a 10 day hunt, it's a five undies, just flip them. day two, flip them, you know? So I had, Double flip, like double sided socks and undies, like all, all in there. And this lady has to like go through it. And I just said, Ah, oh, I said, You really need to dig through there. I said, You know, I kind of, it's been a long week in camp. And she's just like, Oh, I'm used to it. And then like I could tell, like after, you know, the first few layers, she kind of just started kind of flipping stuff with her poker rather than like, touch, <laughs> yeah. like handling anything with her gloves. Yeah. Uh. It was a horrible trip. It was a long, uh, it was a long disastrous trip, which I remember, you know, that's what I love about hunting is, and I told you this, you tend to remember the the things that like, that sucked, you know, you always, it seems like that's, that's what I love about hunting. I love about, I love being able to, remember the things that were hard and I also love to be able to provide for people, you know, we talked about COVID and the whole 2020 and everything. And I, I told you one of the things that was awesome for me was being able to actually be able to send food and make food for people that last year were struggling to find it. And it was because I had a freezer full of wild game. And at no point was I, I, did I worry or care that Walmart didn't have Walmart or Hy-Vee or whatever my local grocery store was? If they didn't have food on the rack, cool. Yeah, like I can make something. I can, you know, anything in that freezer I can put on my Traeger, and I, if I have wood pellets, I'm good to go. Yeah. You know, yeah, which I think is probably going to be your next progression really. yeah and
1: it's a coo- it's a cool thing to kind of look to that and, and in terms of like there's a lot of um a huge thing and jumping that i love it's the sense of personal responsibility that you have is no one's coming to help you once you <laughs> once you yeah. leave like it's 100 percent on your own back like so true. in every capacity so the ha- the thing of turning into saying i'm going to get my own food like that's the most basic primal survivalist thing that you can possibly think of and then to even be able to extend that and like oh i can feed myself and my family to be oh i can i can help other people out too as an extension of that you know so it's a beautiful uh, thing within those things that you can say oh it's a sport and it's recreational and stuff but it can have some real like grounding service and personal um i guess like level of accomplishment and just
0: how do you feel about that coming from europe like is there a part of you that thinks about hunting a little bit reserved,
1: in terms of like not um like thinking, just killing something? Um, I don't know. I'm. I mean, I don't. I don't have any negative thought or towards it or anything.
0: I guess, or I'm not like
1: let's run around and kill everything. But
0: I like I definitely because you talked about your family. You told them that you're learning archery, so yeah, that, you know. Na- and this is totally natural. Yeah, because I felt that way around Sharon's family. It, it's like, you know, I, I would if Sharon's family was in town, I wouldn't pull up to the house with a dead buck in the right in the back yeah. of my truck and yeah. then hanging up and process. Like I wouldn't come in and process it in front mm-hmm. of them. Yeah. Right. Whereas now Sharon's got you know Sharon totally she understands that that's what we eat and that's what she expects. And she also knows she's almost more weirded out. If I brought in food that was processed by someone else, she'd be like, was this like, are they hygienic? Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of been a full turn of the table of now she knows if we bring that from the, from the farm to the, you know, to the table, she knows that, how we are for, you know, for everything, you know, in regards to like, you know, hygiene or process. She knows like, she knows where it's been, Mm -hmm. you know, from, you know, Hey babe, I got one tonight of, she expects me to come home with that and she knows, you know, maybe I'll age it and like hang it and age it. But she knows at some point there's going to be a day where I'm in there like talking to her in the kitchen and i'm slicing and dicing yeah. and bagging and you know and she's she's like what's this and i'll say you know back straps and she's writing on the back you know the freezer bags right. she's writing the name of what it is and she's holding it open while i'm dropping it in there and like that's the process right
1: yeah and and i think that that might come with just more exposure and education to it so for like with my mom my mom was like please don't post any pictures of you with an arrow through a deer's head or, so, or something <laughs> like that.
0: And I mean, I've been, I'm going to say that too. Yeah. Uh, and like I mean, for archery's sake, please don't right. post a picture of you with an arrow through a, a deer's <laughs> yeah, head.
1: And I get it. And like my, like she hates that the fact that I base jump and will never get used to it and just prays for the day, prays for a day to come where I will come to her and say, I'm not doing this anymore. Mm-hmm. She can't see past the danger. So, I mean, she might say the same thing about hunting an elk or something, but if I arrived at the house with some elk steaks, she would have no problem cooking. Mm-hmm. She'd be, take them off me and put them in, on the grill herself, you know, that kind of thing. So I think that when you can approach things from a more ethical standpoint, like say you, for example, say it's you're creating the full circle or you plant crops that the the animals are going to eat and you're kind of replenishing
0: yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, we you're replenishing the,
1: a specific area and developing an area specific with intentions to do that that it's kind of the circle of life full, yeah. fully coming around. You know, it's not like you're treating all these animals terribly and they're in a cage and you just like, "Oh, go shoot that one and you're just taking a pot shot in a barrel or things like that, you know?" So it c- it can be very different and I think a lot of it is like educating people and just on
0: I think it's so valuable that that everybody realizes exactly what you said, because I I remember that vividly with Sharon's family of if I would, like if I'd roll home with a deer in the back of the truck, they're not cool with that, you know? And I can be like, Oh, it's legal. I got a tag, bro. You know, I got a tag. It's legal. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's legal. Is it ethical in some people's mind? No. So guess what? You know, how about take a different different approach, take a different angle, you know, and maybe look at it as, hey, this person honestly, if they if you said, what do you want to eat tonight? and you had like this freezer bag that had a T bone in it, or a freezer bag that had this like awesome freaking elk line, and you said like, hey, do you want to have like a freaking, you know, super lean elk loin or do you want to have this t-bone with like a bone in it and fat around the edges right yeah you know, and they would probably just like your mom you know if you came to your mom and said like hey this is some elk you know it'd be awesome if we cook this she would do it you know and just like with sharon's family you know eventually when they're, they're like oh this venison is awesome what is it well venison means deer oh, wait, is that one of the deer? Yeah, that is one of the deer. I don't know how I feel about it, but it's really good. So, yeah, we need to learn as a bow hunting community, we need to learn, like, plan of attack, right? It's like, if you're going to get a point across, you know, even if you're going to get a point across to a boss that's always very defensive, if the idea isn't theirs, then... Figure out how to make the idea theirs yeah, and present it of, you know, we've just never had the right way of bringing out this hoodie. Is there a better way to do it? Have you guys thought about doing a hoodie on a, you know, a camo hoodie with like, you know, a green flag on it? And even though you may have brought that up a year ago and they thought, well, that's dumb. That'll never do anything. And then later on, you say, "I don't know. Have you ever thought? Of, well, I think if we did that, it would be a good idea." Okay, awesome. Like it's all about you know presentation. Yeah. Just, I mean, in a way, it's marketing. So, I think as a bow hunting community, if we can figure out a way to to make something appealing to people that we know aren't a hundred percent cool with it, you know, but just respect the fact that they, most people aren't 100% closed off and oblivious to it. I mean, there's certainly, certainly people that are, Mm -hmm. but I think there's this, I think, I think that there's like a hunting community and I think there's a non-hunting community and I think those two like percentages only make up 30 or 40% of the pie. I think, I think the more than double the majority is open to the idea, but a little bit hesitant of like, I, I couldn't kill something myself. Right. So, you know, I, I feel like if we can figure out the way to, to bridge, to bridge that gap, then I honestly feel like we're going to be in a better place as a, as a whole Because the reality is, just like last year with COVID, I had no concerns that the grocery store didn't have food. Yeah. Like, there's places that, like Hawaii, that have probably enough access that are overrunning that could feed the majority of major cities. I mean, it's insane, right? And and even here, it you know, we look at we look at the number of hunters that sh- that shoot something, but donate to like Hunters for the Hungry, which is an awesome you know, yep. an awesome cause. But I feel like there is an opportunity to even take it beyond that if we needed to as a society. You know, I think it's I think it's important that at some point we recognize that and we don't just like close it off because. In Ireland, is it legal to hunt?
1: I'm not. Like, I, I would have no idea. Like, it's been so long since I've been there, and I was oblivious to the idea of it. I, I would assume, uh, I actually don't even know. I can't even <laughs> I can't even say any, something incorrect it's about gonna it. It's going to be a
0: no. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, in England, and obviously, we don't, like, in Ireland, do you remember, like, at, out at, you know, did you see, like, flocks of turkeys or deer? In, no. Yeah, not happening, right? Yeah. Um so there are reasons why in certain areas there aren't those laws because it's you know, it's not available. And I I don't think a hunter would say if they're in an area where there weren't animals, I don't think there's hunters that'd be like, Well, we should be able to there's one deer here, we should be able to kill that thing. Yeah. They would probably say, Can we get another one here so that they can make more and then then at some point we can manage that. But then there's always – we want to make sure they're always here. Yeah. But we want to make sure that, you know, at some point it needs to be managed to where it's not out of control too. It's not like, you know, pigeons in the city or rats and, you know, wherever. You know, you kind of want to make – you want to make sure you you do that. Yeah. That's cool. And I think
1: that, um, like, a lot of that can just start, like, start and continue with just education because, like what you said, there's two – communities there's like bow hunting and non-bow hunting and there's a lot of gray area and Mm -hmm. there's lots of people that will never be okay with it like whatever animal rights thing that they're kind of attached to or they're vegan or they don't they just don't agree with i'm
0: actually cool that
1: yeah and they don't or they don't agree with violence or for whatever reason but then all the people that are in the center that are just, like, they have no way idea one way or the other and you can educate them in terms of saying, hey, we actually do a lot of positive things for the community or we're replenishing the lands by this or we take one, we put five back, like, yeah. or we create systems in order to do that. And I think that things like that can always, st- everyone can start, like, like you were giving... Um, food to people that you knew, like you bumped into a guy by accident and it's kind of started with that. But yep. if you're doing something in your community and everybody does a little thing in their own community and it bleeds out from that and then more and more people get educated and there's less likely to be pushed back on a, on bigger levels, you know,
0: I'm actually cool with like, if people really declare themselves as I'm a non-hunter and they have like a very clear line that they've drawn. I'm cool with that because on the same sense, anyone that's on the other side of that line, even if it's undecided, like that's where I'm, I'm going to focus my attention on undecided, you know? yeah. And that's one thing that I, I like really have enjoyed about you is you've come from a demographic that is so outside of archery to where I feel like I've just planted a brand new seed in a food plot to where, you know, when people ask me, Well, I've been an archer forever and you know, why can't I come and you know get lessons or get a bow build? It's like, hey, I've actually in my like looking, I look at you and I think, okay, I've taken someone that's now from from Ireland, is a base jumper, and I've actually like planted this seed of archery to where now you're you're thinking past that next step and There's a very good chance if you choose to go down that road like Jocko did to where like Jocko's wife, Helen, she's from England, she's eating elk. You know, she knows like, hey, you know, we're not buying this from the store. I'm totally cool with, you know, Jocko's going out, he's hunting, you know, we're eating eating what he hunts and that's, you know, I'm cool with that. So, yeah, it would be... A dream come true for me. If at some point you decided you wanted to hunt, like I'm not going to force that on you, but if you said, "Hey, dude, I shot my first thing," and you know how do I cook this backstrap? I would 100 percent be texting you back. You know, hey, dude, you know primary rub uh, black and Saskatchewan, <laughs> yeah, put yeah, some knocked yeah. and loaded on it. Yeah. You know, 375 until the internal hits 138. You know, take that thing off, wrap it in foil, put it in the Yeti. Start working those, (laughs) start, start cooking those Brussels sprouts. And, um, and then, you know, hopefully your freaking mom sees that. And at some point she has it. And then at that point she says, I'm not a hunter, but I'm okay eating something that my son goes out and gets right. Like, dude, that's a huge win, you know, and I shouldn't say it's a huge win, It is a huge win for like the hunting community, but for personal gratification, selfishly, that is a huge, like that fulfills everything. Like I said, everything I'm doing is I'm doing, you know, holistically. You know, I just, I love, I love this revolution of how everything seems to be going around with, brand new people coming in like in in certain ways you remind me a lot of like Mark Carter who was a pro snowboarder and just you know had never shot archery you know had a a very you know a very interesting history and background and in a lot of ways um you know I I look at myself of man if I would have there's a lot of decisions I made as a kid to where they could have went positive or negative And, you know, as luck would have it, I was able to like not get out. You know, I wasn't like falling into a system of where it could have been super negative for me, you know, but I learned from the mistakes and I kind of in turn thought that was a bad mistake. What do I need to do to make up for it to like prove myself to just, you know, the world and, you know, I want to make it better, so i wanna i want to work that much harder to to like turn things around. But I just feel like people that come from these alternative backgrounds that eventually come into archery thank god for for Joe for this and and this should be podcast two ninety nine I believe um, and so hopefully um I believe Joe's gonna be 300, which will be cool. But, like, I've got to just start out that podcast by just thanking him for how many people he's planted a seed in for archery to where they come in just kind of wanting the Zen aspect of shooting a bow. But, like, I haven't forced the hunting aspect on you at all, I don't think.
1: No, not at all. But so If anything, it's been me asking all the. clubs, at all these trophies. Every, every, <laughs> you ever shot a squirrel. Into every room, every room in this dude's house, it was just filled with skulls and antlers. And
0: I try to not show that too. I like go out animals. of my. You know, I honestly go out of my way. To, like, not show that? Well, you
1: don't talk, like, you're you're not cocky about it in a sense because I'm like, oh, what's this? And you'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, the, It's not like, oh, have you seen this one? Or, oh, you like this? Let me show you this one. It's not like, <laughs> let, let me sh-
0: show you these horns, yeah, bro. But they speak for
1: themselves, like, in the same sense, you know. But it's not like you roll up to um, a dude's house and all the skulls are on the, on the fence outside the house, you know. <laughs> it's like something Dude, like that.
0: <laughs> it would be, like, freaking if all apocalypse happens, like, I could do that. Yeah.
1: I <laughs> know it's it's super imagine cool as well. If, if,
0: imagine if it got to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was imagine. just Mad Max, man. Yeah. It's
1: like a half mile long driveway and just That, skulls, that, that freaking skulls, Jeep like, gladiator rolls up with a freaking yeah.
0: elk rack.
1: So good. Like like, <laughs> like camo dirt bikes like in the yard and <laughs> that kind of stuff, but It's been really cool for me as well to kind of get a glimpse into this world because I'm coming in from, like, say, a fringe activity into what would essentially be considered – I mean, archery is a lot bigger than base jumping, but it's still considered, like, a a niche market, smaller thing. It's not like How big is
0: base jumping total? (sighs) Like, how many people do they know?
1: I have no – yeah, it's really difficult to put a number on because – Is it Millions? Uh, no, I wouldn't say it's millions.
0: It's definitely smaller than.
1: Yeah, it's I'd say thousands versus hundreds of thousands. It's Dang. not. Um, yeah. So, and I mean, it, you could scale it down. Like I always try to not exaggerate by saying there's only X amount because you get into, you get into very gray area by saying what, like if I say how many base jumpers are there, you say okay, well what is a base jumper, and then people are like, oh, if you own a parachute and you've made ten base jumps, does that make you a base jump, or if you base jump. Once a month, are you a base jumper versus the guy who jumps every day versus the guy who jumps twice a year? Or so there's all this kind of gray. area. So I would say in the U.S. there's probably less than a thousand people that are like active that would be considered active. It's probably a lot less than that, but I'll just be conservative in saying that it might be less than 500 or maybe around 500. But
0: what's your bar? Uh, bar for what? Like if someone said, "I'm a base jumper." Like Let's just say I came out and talked to you into letting me jump off that bridge and you held my chute and I jumped off and landed and then said, yeah, I base jumped. I
1: would say, yeah, and I'm, I'm like, it's hard for me because I'm very. <laughs> That's I, your job. Well, I'm totally live, putting you on the spot. I know, and like, I live in the gray. I'm always like, well, I can see it from both sides, and like, I'm always kind of, I'm always on the fence. You know, it's always, it's very. I love it. It makes it hard for me too because I know, like. <laughs> no, but I'm, it's me. Like, it's <laughs> all me. All right. So, um, what would you tell me? I'd say, like, yeah, you've done a base on You're a base showroom, right? Like, at least in that moment, in two months, if you had like sold your gear and. <laughs> you were still going around telling people you were a base jumper, I might, like, argue it, but at the end of the You'd day, You'd say, it's
0: like, hey, can you be current?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Because like, it'd be more like, I base jumped. Yeah. And I'm not just, a base jumper.
1: Yeah, and it's kind of semantic stuff in saying, like, what is of who is a hunter, you know? Like, if I kill one deer, and it was two years ago, but I practice in my backyard every day, am I a hunter? Like, it's it
0: turns into... Yeah, that's a good way to put it. it it's a really good, that's a good angle. Because so I feel like if someone, if someone pulls a bow back and shoots it and like draws blood and then has to like field dress it, at that point, you're a bow, like you bow hunted. Yeah, you're a bow hunter. Yeah. I mean, I mean you <laughs> might not, you, you know, you might say I used to bow hunt and it, I mean, yeah, you would definitely be, you'd be a bow hunter at that point. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think with like when you get into that
1: kind of stuff, like, like personally, I don't necessarily care. Like, really, like it's it's cool to say how many people are doing this or whatever it is. But at the end of the day, like, it doesn't really matter. Like, whether there's five hundred or a thousand, or you're still in a very small pocket of people. And like, I'm not gonna if somebody's running around saying they're a base jumper and they've only done it eight times or something i don't care at the end of the day it doesn't affect my life that you're saying that you know so (laughs) it's um yeah it's it's quite a common question though and like the people who are really in like the people who are doing it all the time every week all the time they're usually the people that get the most upset by it because it's your existence you know and this is like i am truly doing this whereas you're kind of a poser if you're just going around wearing the t-shirt and telling everyone you're a bass drummer but you're not actually Actively doing it so that I can see that upsetting some, some people. Does there come up,
0: does there come like a certain level to where, yeah, even though that, that is what that person is and that is what they do. They also are like, you know what? It like I'm beyond letting that. I'm not going to waste time thinking that because in the end all i want to do is jump off this bridge
1: yeah and ex- and i'd, I'd kind of take that more because i'm
0: never going to argue archery with someone if yeah. someone's like i'm a target archer i'm a diehard bow hunter like i'm to the point now where i'm just like okay cool like here's where i'm going to be on friday you know let's shoot bows yeah Yeah. You know, let's just let's do it well, this is like. <laughs> Hopefully, I see you in the woods. Yeah. I'm <laughs> going to be out there.
1: You want to take it a level deeper. Like, for people that don't know, the word base is an acronym. And uh, each letter stands for uh, the four objects that are most frequently jumped off. So, b-, uh, b is for building, A is for antenna, S is for span, which is bridges, and E is for earth, so cliffs. And you will get people who say. So most of my jumps, I live in Idaho, I live in Twin Falls, the bridge is down the street from my house. Most of my jumps are off that bridge. People who live in like Moab, most of their jumps are off cliffs. They're e-jumpers? So then you say, I have, so say a guy comes along and he says, oh, I have 500 bridge jumps. And another guy says, oh, I have 500 cliff jumps. So my jumps count more than yours because they're off a more dangerous item. And then you get people arguing over stuff like that. So it's like, and then it becomes you're not a real base jumper because you only jump off antennas and bridges. You don't jump off buildings and cliffs. And you're like, oh, well, I live in a city. All I ever jump is buildings. But so am I not a base jumper now because I can't jump off bridges or cliffs or something. And you get like stupid little meaningless, that's where I'm long gone. Yeah, you get stupid little meaningless arguments like that. That kind of stuff. And it's usually just the people who are who it really matters to that are in so deep that things like that really upset them. You know. But yeah. Like, similar to you, I don't really... Do they have,
0: like... <laughs> it's like when people want to talk shit at each other, do they, say, like, say someone only does be... Will they be like, you only jump, bitch? <laughs>
1: Mate, yeah, I mean... Or,
0: like, you, like, if someone only has an antenna in town and that's all they can do is, like, the freaking AT&T antenna that's no. out there, do they just be like, you only... You only do ass. Yeah. You're only an (laughs) ASE, like you're an ass jumper or something like that. Do they?
1: Yeah. I mean, you do. You do get it for sure. It's very like, even in saying (laughs) it.
0: What's the, what's like, if you were going to punk me and I only did B, what would you say?
1: Like if you had only done B? Yeah. Um, Pfft.
0: Your bitch know. jumper,
1: bitch. I guess, but like that's the thing. Like B <laughs> is building, so that's almost like it's it, that's a respect. Like so, that's a more respected because it's probably illegal. You probably had to do it at night. You might have involved. What about
0: E? Is E kind of at the bottom? That
1: I'd say B and E are the like okay. If we're gonna go into that, B and E are probably the most respected because they're arguably the most dangerous. Earth because,
0: is dangerous. yeah, because the I, I I say this because I've been at a hundred places with Andy to where I've said, Could you jump that? And he'll be like, Nope. You know, it like the face looks good, but it needs to like the way the the way the train it like tapers out. It would have to come in for like another two hundred oh, okay, feet yeah. before it goes out. Yeah. So like for the earth is it like you have to know that freaking trajectory, right? Typically well a lot well
1: most the the thing that's most dangerous is what you're actually jumping off a lot of the time. So if you're jumping off a cliff, the worst situation that you can possibly end up in is if the parachute opens up twisted and you end up flying back into the what you just jumped off. So if y- if the parachute opens up backwards after jumping off a bridge, you're just going to fly under the bridge and you're fine. Mm-hmm. Bridges are usually over water also. And then if you're jumping like an AT&T tower, usually you jump it when there's wind coming from your back. So if it op- even if it opens up backwards it'll be kind of blowing you back away from, from it, so it'll give you a little more time to turn it around. Typically, you'll jump a cliff or a building with as little wind as possible, so if it opens up twisted, you're, you're just flying into the wall, and you have to turn it around really fast. And that's like, I wouldn't say that particular situation is the most common that causes accidents, but it's the thing that you're worried about the most, I would say, on especially with low, low uh, cliff jumping.
0: Do you not have any effect on how that parachute opens if it turns
1: uh your body position like the yeah the how symmetrical your body position is the biggest dictator of it but you have wind and there's how you packed it like there's all these other there's little very vari- there's lots of variables that come in and it's, it's kind of a scary thing because you can, sometimes you can do what's called a trash pack where you do everything really fast <laughs> and you're just trying to get it in the bag as fast as you can and it'll come out perfect. It'll be like a diamond <laughs> ding on the corner of it as it extracts, you know? And then other times you can spend, so, like you can be so meticulous and like you can almost be ironing it flat and making sure everything is absolutely perfect and then it'll come out twisted and backwards. dog shit. Yeah, so it's very, it's very scary that you can do, like it's one of the, Things that you can do everything 100% perfectly and then still it can be just totally wrong when it comes out. (laughs) That's that's the worst situation. Yeah, it's
0: terrifying. (laughs) That's horrible. Yeah. Yeah, that's horrible. You'd think somewhere there could be a process where it's like, hey, this thing is guaranteed for, like, a forward evacuation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: And maybe there will be at some point, you know. Hopefully. Yeah, I mean, they're getting wingsuits with jetpacks on them and stuff now, so, like, you see. <laughs> what? See, they're doing testing on stuff. I've seen some <laughs> videos in Dubai and stuff. They have, like, motorized um
0: Of course they do.
1: Yeah, so that'll be a thing eventually. <laughs> I'm sure the military are probably using it somewhere, but.
0: <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. Iron Man suits. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Well, dude, what? So we kind of we leapfrogged you pulling your bow back with a sight on it <laughs> mm-hmm. the first time. So, like, talk us through that from a from like a beginner aspect, and then you know where are you at now with archery? So with the um.
1: The sight that essentially would be, I guess, similar to a scope on the front that you, like that one you put on or prior well, to I'm that? just
0: saying like, well, we, for those listening, we started started out with a string and I actually gave him like an air bow and yeah. we gave him a bow, no sight, yeah. just looking through a peep yeah. because protocol was stance, grip, shoulder, anchor, peep sight. And then intentionally just looking through the peep at a very big target, not, you know, I'm just like, hey, just look through the peep, kind of look at the center of the target and shot execution. And then finally we put the sight on your bow, which was kind of kind of your cherry on top last night, right? Yep. Yesterday yep. evening. And then I told you like, hey, what are your steps? Remember your steps. And then what'd you do the first time you pulled back? Forgot everything. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, you literally raised your bow and you, like laser beam your eyeballs just went to this front pin yeah <laughs> and you just ripped this thing back like you didn't even know where you pulled it back to yeah you could have handed that silver back off to someone in the other room and you would have never <laughs> yeah and then it was
1: gradual things like you said anchor and i was like oh yeah my hand should be touching my face and then oh it's touching it's not touching my nose i gotta get my <laughs> nose forward on the string and then doing all of those little things and i guess like with the uh, the difference with the site when it came on is i was so focused on just trying to make it dead center and just static that mm-hmm. i was uh, forgetting about everything else like my hand positioning and not not letting it look easy i was trying to muscle everything like what i was saying before to fix it and then um one of the uh the best thing one of the, one of the best things i guess that you said to me was trust the float so yeah. when you see the sight kind of adjusting and you gave that analogy of driving in between the white lines on the road. And sometimes the car is moving left and right and you're making these little adjustments. Like, you know, the car will continue to go straight, but you constantly have to kind of course correct and keep it on track. So doing that with the sight and just a alla- like keeping it in the center, but just allowing it to have a little bit of play left and right and up and down. And then um thinking about my breathing was a huge thing in there and just taking a deep breath and kind of, being in that moment and just allow, and then allowing the shot to happen versus trying to force it, I guess. So,
0: yeah, so true. I mean, I don't, I don't really know how, how I could describe it differently to where you wouldn't make, it's almost like people have to make those mistakes as they progress through learning archery. You have to make that mistake so that I can, tell you why that mistake is important. Right. Which is honestly awesome with life because so many people want to just get through life without having any, anything hard or any like making a mistake or making any hardship. But I feel like the things I remember the most, like how many times I told you what the safety was on the silverback I mean you had the perfect saying i was was I in the other room when that catastrophe happened?
1: uh yeah, you heard it,
0: yeah, I just and this was it was honestly well past the point where I'm like, okay, this guy made it. <laughs> he did not pull back with his finger off the safety, and then all of a sudden I just hear this like zzzz. Slap, crack, ding, 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 and i I think you just said, "Well, I got that out of the way."
1: <laughs> yeah, I think he said what what happened. I was like, "What do you think happened?" And he was like, "Safety." I was like, "Yep." So I mean, and I was right. I think a couple of minutes before that, I was I, I think I said something like, "I don't want to get cocky, but I think I'm doing pretty good." Like I said something like that. You so. did
0: say that. Yeah. So it's kind of dude. Uh, Full cocky mode right there.
1: Yeah. So I mean and that's the I love the <laughs> thing about skills that are hard to develop is that they are really difficult and like once you like you can't just jump to the point and and granted, yeah, some people are naturally talented and some people will pick it up faster than others, but you gotta work to to develop those skills and with anything in life and when you're presented with hard situations like that's the difference makers, you know, those people that are willing to put in the work and those that that will get frustrated and like throw the ball in the ground or kick the bucket over. Or I've
0: done that. Yeah, and I mean yeah. So, did you ever have temper? You ever like go through temper temper moments in your life?
1: Um not like I have had a, a few but not not a lot. Like I tend to be really really chill all the time and then I'll snap. Like and I've only <laughs> snapped a few times but I can yeah but I could tell like I mean yeah um they're not moments that I've been proud of but they've ended pretty badly in different
0: situations so (laughs) I try to like describe one like um uh, what's a full snap
1: like getting I'm arrested in a cell for the night like type thing (laughs) like that way so okay yeah so it's that kind of like that was I think that so that particular situation without going into too much detail we were in, like somebody was shouting at one of my friends. One of the things that I'll get really upset is when people are wronged for no reason. Yeah. So like me and my friends were out and like one of my friends said something smart to this random guy that went past and this guy just walked up and just punched him in the face or something and I just lost it on that dude and like two of his buddies and I was doing Muay Thai at the time and like I dropped two of them with it, I, like pulled his head down and got him like knee him in the face, <laughs> dropped him down, stuff like that and then ran after the other guy and then cops noticed I ended up get being thrown into like the paddy wagon i was in drunk tank for the night like things like that but it's just kind was of was
0: that domestic or international that was in ireland oh that, that particular situation so that was, was just that they were just like oh here we go
1: well it was yeah it was kind of like <laughs> the yeah it's, i mean it's a normal saturday night out like things like that happen quite frequently in, in <laughs> i was ireland, gonna say
0: that's just that's just what did the guy say did he say anything to your buddy?
1: It was, so, if I can Say think. it
0: in the accent, because <laughs> <It laughs> that's like, really what I'm getting So, to.
1: It, that particular one was after um, a rugby match, and there was a rugby game in, um, it wasn't even that, um, he wasn't even being that smart. So, it was after our, our state championship <laughs> rugby match, and my buddy said, go on Munster, which is the name of the province of the team that won to yeah. this guy, and this guy just said nothing as he walked past my buddy said something like, oh, go F yourself, so, something like that. And the guy was like, what? what you say to me? Like, <laughs> he comes over and just punched him in the mouth or something <laughs> like that. And I, ju- I just like seeing blood, like that <laughs> that kind of a thing, you know, so. Yeah, so if I see friends. Sounds like
0: the Conor fight that I went
1: to. <laughs> <laughs> right, and I'll use a situation that I didn't live in this country for as the example, just so it's a long time ago, so I'm not getting myself into trouble now, you know, but. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah I've never been uh, like kick kick things over or shout or break stuff or anything like that yeah I've always, seem pretty chill I've always been fairly good at managing that but.
0: for me I'd recognize mannerisms and maybe maybe, I, it, maybe it's irrelevant but like sometimes when I would go down to pull arrows I would notice like you would actually just kind of squat down to the ground and a lot of times people that that's a very submissive position, you know? So it's almost like you were collecting thoughts. I don't know. Is that true? Or is that just like, where you yeah, get, where that, do you go to hang out? Just yeah. Like
1: I kind of, well, a lot of it is observing as well. And like part of that is from having spent so much time in gyms and watching people weightlifting and stuff like that. So sitting, sitting in a squat is very natural for me as well. And I view it as a good thing to just straighten my back and stretch out a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel comfortable, and I was kind of, like, in that particular situation, I was just more like, oh, what does it look like from this angle, or he's looking at me from the side here and taking pictures, so I'm going to, like, dissect my side picture of him and try to mimic, so I'm like, oh, he said my elbow was too high, where's his elbow, like, I'm looking at (laughs) things like that you know and where's trying his
0: to, elbow with my bow that's three inches too short for him. yeah <laughs> so i guess i mean yeah you're what six two or six like you're how tall? Are you six five
1: six five okay so <laughs> six two i was trying not to exaggerate i'm six one so i knew you were taller than me but so <laughs> one inch taller yeah so i can uh, okay. so i'll be looking at you and i'll go into a different vantage point i guess to just see if i'm seeing if see if i can identify something that i didn't see from a different angle or or something like that so
0: do you do that in the base jumping world or
1: No, I wouldn't say so I mean if somebody's packing the par like so it's rare that somebody's usually standing up or something, but I guess just that particular one is like I might sit down and watch someone packing their parachute or something like that, but it's not something I would commonly
0: What's your biggest takeaway from the last thirty six hours? <sighs> um if I was to pick one thing.
1: I mean, the thing that keeps coming in my mind is just saying trust the float. Like that's what that's <laughs> you what do I do love that. I do love that. I love little like little phrases, k- like catchphrases, kind of like that. Like real, like I love the slow, is smooth, smooth as fast. That's been I've been using yeah, that since. Yeah, you said that a couple times. Been using that, that since that my well, my weightlifting coach used to use it with me all the time, and then my skydiving coach used it with me as well, and then the, my base swimming coach used it as well, and then I heard like it's a Navy SEAL thing when shooting and. So it's Charlie
0: Sheen said said that.
1: Okay, so I'm not uh, yeah I'm not sure if it's original thing, but (laughs) I (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) like
0: I'm gonna stop you before you go to before (laughs) I dig that or bury myself in that hole (laughs) was not a seal. Yeah,
1: (laughs) but yeah, that's more. But he did say it.
0: (laughs) He, He did say it. Yeah. So if you ever make a shirt that says that, yeah, put in quotes, Charlie Sheen. Yeah. go ahead.
1: Um, So yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to pinpoint one thing because I was just coming into an entirely new world and I didn't really have any expectation. And you said you liked that in the beginning because I was a blank slate. And I Mm -hmm. actually had, when I told people I was coming out here, I had a a buddy of mine say, oh, you should come to the range of me this week and I'll like show you some of the basics. And I was like, no, no, no. Like I literally want to walk in here. with not like even sometimes people will think, oh, if I'm a little bit prepared, like that's a good thing, but also I didn't want to have any bad habit of anything or even 10 reps with my thumb in a different position might have made it more difficult.
0: I'm the same. I put off things intentionally. Like I wanted to skydive for a long time, but I put it off until I knew the situation was 100% right to where I could go in with the right person and do it from start to finish. And that's what I did with Andy and Trevor. Yeah. And and honestly, I've always wanted to learn like handgun shooting. You know, I I, I really like guns. I love I love precision sport, mm-hmm. right? But it was the same thing of I don't really want to do this until I learn to do it right. And then, you know, when I had the opportunity to learn from Evan Hafer, you know, I'm just like, dude, you know, I have n- intentionally not learned this so that the right person could show me these things. And then, you know, same is true with like, I really want to do like a true sniper type thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, Andy worked with me some, which I trust a lot, but you know, I want to, um, I'm going to, I'm going to actually do some of that with JP Donnell at some point, which oh. is like, you know, for me, awesome because I feel like if I'm going to learn, I'm going to learn the right way. Mm-hmm. And that's just, my personality you know i don't i self-taught archery and it was a very long like it was a long journey that took a very long time to get out of a hole that i dug myself Mm -hmm. and i don't have time for these other things that i really want to learn to do it wrong first yeah yeah you know i i did it I, i did archery wrong for the first third of my time behind a bow and had to pick little parts that I could grasp from people that were doing it right. And then slowly piece together this process to where I have now. And then, you know, thankfully I've dug out of it, but it's, I took the very long road to get to where I'm at. And I just don't have time to do it that way with other things that I want to do. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then you well like I would say, to that now you're in a position where you've been doing something like thirty plus years, and you can streamline that process for new people that are coming through. And the same as like you want to learn jujitsu or sniper, like now because you're at this peak level of in archery, you can do tradesies with <laughs> with the guy who's at the peak <laughs> level, uh, with the guy who's the yeah. sniper guy, and he might have learned it the hard way. I don't know if you can if you can do that the hard way or you ha- you need professional training to be like lying in front of a long rifle and doing things like that. Anyways, to some, to some degree, like the right um, person
0: recognizes crossover. Right. So one of the things that's been beneficial for me is learning some of these other things to where it helps me relate to like the fact that I knew a few things about skydiving helped me in some ways, give you something that you could relate to with archery. Mm -hmm. And even with learning pistol a little bit, From Evan it's helped me teach some military guys I mean and honestly one of the things we talked about when we talked front sight rear sight alignment I actually drew that diagram on the chalkboard of remember yeah you did front pistols because part of what made me I would say above average fast was that I recognized that from an archery point of view so when Evan taught it to me and said like hey Here's how front sight, rear sight works for the pistol. I was just like, duh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's another day in the park for me. And honestly, it was easier for me because with that pistol, it was almost, they were closer together. So it was very clear compared to it with a bow with a very large rear aperture and, a, mm-hmm. you know, that alignment was actually easy for me. So I was able to shoot at longer distance with the pistol to, to the people that were there, which I trust. They were telling me, Hey, this is surprising that you're this accurate at the, at these distances. That's that doesn't happen. Yeah. But I think it wasn't because I was new to a pistol. I was very seasoned to that process but in a different craft yeah you know whereas like now well in a couple weeks i'll be with jocko and you know gonna do jujitsu again and hopefully not have my freaking neck broken with him the second time around um but yeah i I like learning those crafts because it helps me be a better teacher because i can give parallels
1: absolutely And even that, like the sight, the pistol diagram that you were drawn with the sights, that made sense to me just having shotguns before. ear
0: rifle, that (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Popping those squirrels in (laughs) the city city limits.
1: Popping those squirrels. But yeah, having not shot a real bow before, and then having that parallel as being like, okay, so this works the same, that makes sense. And then that creates the parallel across. And you did give some really helpful... Um, I was even saying to my wife last night, I was saying, oh, he was giving some like wind tunnel analogies of like correcting movement subtly and not forcing it or trying to muscle it or something like that. Yeah. Like, and yeah, and then things like that. Because,
0: and maybe that's why you've related so much to like trust the float. Yeah. Because I tried to, when we talked about your front sight, you know, because I could see when your front sight was kind of darting around a little bit, I could tell on your back half, so from your release hand back, you would start and stop with that pull, Yeah. And so I told you like, Hey dude, like when I was in the wind tunnel, the more I tried to correct, the faster I slammed into the glass on the other side. Mm -hmm. Like I had to realize like, I know I'm going to the glass to the right. So I have to make a movement to where it's going to correct before I get there, but it's not going to correct right now to where I slam it to where I can't counteract on the opposite side. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that might be a reason why that stuck with you more than is. And, you know, luckily I was in this tube with a big fan underneath it to where <laughs> I, like, learned these things. Because, yeah, it was it was helpful for me to, to learn that analogy of, like, overcorrection.
1: Yeah.
0: All right, you've got one last question or one last statement. So for those out there listening to this podcast that are contemplating Learning archery or going down this path, coming from someone who is, had never done it up until 24 hours ago, what would you tell them?
1: Um, like giving somebody like advice, I guess, on coming I don't in know, Just
0: like, you... you know, Hey, this is, you know, there's other people in the same boots as you were two days ago. Mm-hmm what would you tell them about what you've experienced with archery in the last 24 hours versus 48 hours ago, all the way back 30 plus years? Like,
1: okay. Well, I knew I was going to love it. So, I mean, that's the, the hard
0: drew you to it though.
1: Um, I like the meditative aspects of repeated efforts and like, Um, precision with stuff so say if it's like trying to do a yoga move or say a certain type of flip in a jump or like like execution and repetition and uh, progression and seeing like developing mastery i'd say of skills is kind Mm -hmm. of something that's really attractive to me like say even golfing or stuff like that that you can just do over and over again and that's really difficult to get good at like i there's a lot of um empowerment or satisfaction in in things like that you know yep and um and yeah i think just being a dude and being a f- coming from being a kid and like running around and like playing with weapons and like shooting t- wanting to shoot stuff and target targets and what you know, weapons
0: did you have in Ireland? Well we like, didn't we like had sticks sticks, <laughs> <laughs> sticks and
1: stones, you know <laughs> bottles, yeah. Just throwing a bottles. Broken really bottle. <laughs> like, <psh. laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, but things like that. I was I really liked darts when I was a kid. I like playing darts a lot. Like that was another That's very similar. Yeah, and other things like that. So it's just kind of it's a very satisfying um piece of it. And I love the uh, the routine and the um I guess it's the routine but like so in weightlifting there was like when I was I was competitive um Olympic weightlifter for quite a while and when you would come in you would say okay I step to the bar and I make sure my shins are in this position and then like I get my midsection tight and I reach down I get set my grip on the right set my grip on the left and I reposition my back and there was this like routine that you rehearse and go over and over again and again like in martial arts it was the same when I was a kid did taekwondo and there's patterns that you learn and repetition and just trying to execute things perfectly you know so there's a lot of um i'm very attracted to to activities that involve things like that so yeah
0: that's awesome yeah
1: so i'd say it's just an extension of in a a way even though it's a new skill and it's filled with things that i've never done before i also feel like i have done it before because once like the the system involved within learning it is kind of the same as you learn these specific Techniques, and then you repeat them over and over again. And each one of them requires a different piece of it to be mastered. And
0: yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, dude, this has been thank you so super fun. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You're an awesome dude, and thanks everybody for listening. We appreciate it. Knock on everybody. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com.